welcome to A Wee Bit of War, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Northern Ireland during the Second World War. I'm your host, Scott Edgar, and in this episode, we are joined by Holocaust survivor, the inspirational Rachel Levy. Well, um, I was born in a, a tiny village in part of Czechoslovakia, which uh, today, now, it is, uh, it's not that at all. It's uh, Ukraine, and it's a spot of the world where the status changed very often. But when I was born and my family, we were Czech. And it was, um, you, I can tell you about my childhood. It was a small village, Jewish families, about a hundred families in the village, a very self-contained. We had uh, pleasant lives, although certainly didn't have comfort lives in many ways because we didn't have electricity, running water, or cars, or you know, we, everything was horse and cart, and so on, and a well in, in the, near the house. And we were lucky we had a well near the house for water. Um, but life wasn't uh, difficult, so difficult, because we didn't know any different. And uh, one, we lived quite happily there, and very self-contained. We had lots of our own produce. And my mother was running a little shop, um, which was attached to the house. And we played a lot outside in good weather. We swam. We had a river in front of it, our house, and we swam as children. And it was a happy life until uh, the Nazis started. And uh, although many countries had earlier problems, our problems, the real serious ones, started late in the, in the years, which was in, for, in the 40s, 40, 42, 44 was the time they took us away from there. But my father was taken away long before us because he was uh, still a young man. He was only in his 40s. And uh, all the young men were taken away for labor force camp. And by the way, by this time, the uh, Hungary was occupied and they were our Nazis, they were in charge. And so um, they, they would, we would hear lots of news. We had no radio, so we didn't listen to radio news, but there was always travelers, people who told us what was going on. We had a warning. We, we went through quite a lot first because we couldn't go to school. Children, Jewish children were not allowed to go to school. And uh, then after that, it was uh, the shops weren't allowed to be owned by Jews. So my mother's shop closed. And so she was left on, on her own with five children. My father was away. and. Things were a bit hard, of course. We had the rest of the family in the village, my grandparents and aunts and uncles. Um, my father was um, mainly studied through his life. Um, he was, we were very orthodox. And my mother ran, would have run the shop, but then she was without, although she was still doing some 
business sometimes through the back door, but we weren't allowed to open it officially. Um, time, there were times when uh, we were short of things, but uh, because we ha had our own produce in the garden and the field behind our house, we had plenty of produce. And my grandfather had a flour mill, so we had flour for bread. So we weren't actually starving. Um, in, in about the 40, after my father was taken away, after that, we were um, told that we were going to be collected and taken away. And that came by word of mouth information. And so our good neighbors in the mountains uh, who were not Jewish um, hid us. In fact, they hid the whole village people. We were only a hundred families. It wasn't a big place. Everybody was hidden by their friends. And we got away with it the first time, but then we had a bit more time in our home. And then in 44, um, we got the warning again that uh, this time they're coming to collect us. And, and they hit us again, but it didn't work this time because um, the people were threatened that they would be killed themselves if we if they hate, hate Jews, and uh, they gave us up, and that was uh, they were blameless. They couldn't couldn't do otherwise because they were threatened. Um, that's when they took us away to a ghetto nearby in another town, a town, not a village, and there were lots of other people in this ghetto. I don't give you dates because I don't remember dates. And I don't know how long we were there, but we were there quite a bit, quite some weeks. And then we were told we were going away from there. And uh, we were in a sort of camp. We couldn't go free. We weren't free to wander out of it. And then we were put into the trucks. And uh, very crowded, very uh, young and old, and males and females all together, old men, young women, and young children screaming and crying, very uncomfortable. There was no air coming in and there was no nowhere to sit. We were all standing and no hygiene, no not, nothing there. I don't know how long the journey took, but when we eventually arrived, we arrived somewhere. As children, we didn't know where it was. And that ended up in Auschwitz. I spent time in Auschwitz. I saw my brother and I, we were saved and pushed to the area where we would go to the camps. But my mother, my two little sisters and my little brother were taken away, which once we got into the camp, we knew where, where they had been taken. And we saw the chimneys smoking. We knew what was happening, but up to then, we didn't know what it was about. He was in the, I could only see him through the fence because he was in the male camp, men only and women on the other side. And I only saw him that one time the next morning after we arrived. 
and uh, I didn't see him again, not till after the war. Uh, uh, nobody else survived. He did survive, and I survived of five of us. And my parents, my grandparents, my father's sisters, their families, everybody. And you and your brother uh, survived and, and remained in that camp until it was liberated in 1945? No, 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 no. Oh. I did. We didn't get um, as far as that. I never saw him then. Uh, we, I was uh, transported out of there to a small camp for a while where we worked in the fields and digging ditches. And uh, that didn't last very long. We had to, all because the war was getting near and we could hear the fighting. We were moved again and we walked, I believe it was 21 days and nights we walked and we arrived in Belsen. Bergen-Belsen was the next camp. And that was hell on earth once we got there already and it became worse and worse. And there I met my uh, a sister that is still barely alive, very, very ill, my mother's sister. And it was a terrible state. We I went to stay with her in her hut and we didn't have beds, we didn't have, but what we did have was lice and dirt and filth and hunger and uh, we my my aunt my mother's sister didn't survive she died before they we were liberated a week before she was thrown out on the heap with all the other bodies and then we were liberated by the british and after after liberation you would eventually come to live in Northern Ireland uh, for a while. How, how did that journey uh, yes. for you begin? No, that, that journey was uh, also months, months later because I had found my, my brother had found me. And, uh, uh, and then we found an uncle, my mother's brother, and he looked after us for a while. And then he learned about uh, children under 18 were going to Britain and he put our names down. He said, I think you'll be better off going there. And they wanted to go to Palestine and that would be a difficult journey for us. And he sent us to join that group, which took us to Ireland. And how yeah. Sorry, how old were you at the time uh, when you were making that journey? I was uh, just over 14. I'd spent a year in Auschwitz and Belsen and a bit part of it after, after I've met my uncle. So I was 15. And by the time I, I got to Ireland, I, I was just after we, my uncle told us what we were doing that we came to Ireland. We didn't, I we had no idea where Ireland was. We were just taken, uh, we had no say in the matter. It was uh, done by a Central British Fund who collected, wanted to collect a, a thousand children, but they weren't, they couldn't find a thousand children. So altogether we were uh, 731 children, but we were divided into different groups. And our group, my group and my brother, 
went to the island. And when we arrived in Belfast, and the committee met us again, the Jewish committee there met us and told us we were going to go to a farm and we arrived on the farm. Uh, we were very ignorant of all the things that were happening to us. We just did what we were told really. But uh, living in Ireland, um, we had only been there about a month, not even a month, when we were all taken to the hosp local hospitals and, and to see if we were healthy and what, what was wrong with that or not wrong with us. And they found that majority of the boys that was not girls, they had TB. And so my brother was taken away from there together with other boys to Kent, Ashford Kent, to a sanatorium. And I was left there. Well, it was a good life. We, we were sort of beautifully received and looked after. And there was people helping. There were there was doctors and there was counselors and there were classes. They started off, off by teaching us English because none of us spoke the language. Our language was Yiddish and nobody spoke Yiddish who we met. But uh, we did have um, part of the committee from London, which was the refugee committee, came to look after us as well. We had good food and good air. And it was lucky that we had come there because my brother would have died otherwise if he hadn't been found and diagnosed with TB and sent to the right place to recover. And after that uh, sort of warm welcome to Ireland and realizing that you were somewhere safer and, and somewhere that you were going to be looked after, what, what was life like on the farm in Mill Isle? Well, it was it was great. It was absolutely wonderful. We had good food. We had clean beds, and and people were kind. And they brought in lots of entertainment from the local people, choirs, and uh, entertained us. We didn't understand uh, what they were singing, but it was. Uh, and they opened classes, as I said, so that we could start learning the language. And we did. Um, it was absolutely heavenly. We had our own uh, cooks. They brought in cooks and we ate good food and, and recovered and really became very, very humanized after that. It was uh, the saving of us all, really. Um, and I don't know exactly how long we were there. Um, I, I had to come on my own by ship from Belfast to England to see my brother who was in, in an open sanatorium and then moved to another sanatorium. I used to visit and go back to Ireland, but eventually they closed that island and they brought us into London. And so you you got to see your brother again and then you... You he moved, was still moved. in hospital. He spent yeah. years in sanatoriums to get over his TB. And it was a difficult time because they didn't have antibiotics yet. And, and they were given good food and, and fresh air. The, the sanatorium in Kent was open air 
sanatorium and they, they, they looked after him. Everybody was very kind to us. And after you moved to England, did you remain in contact? Did you keep in touch with uh, other people who had been on the farm with you? No, we didn't really, because that was a bit difficult. Our English wasn't good enough to correspond. Um, uh, when we came to live in South London, I was still trying to speak English and I was still going to classes and trying to learn the language. And that was goes for all of us. We none of us spoke English. It wasn't um, we weren't on that sort of uh, term to correspond. In fact, I, I discovered my family who had uh, got to Palestine and my only way of contacting them was writing in Yiddish and that's the only thing I knew. And what, uh, uh, sort of, well, uh, what was your life like in, in England then? Um, after the war, um, you've you've obviously uh, come come far and done done many wonderful things with your life. Um, and do you do you credit the uh, the people of Mill Isle, the people of Ireland? Um, the people in Ireland gave us a wonderful start because we got healthy there on the farm. We we were the, those that didn't have TB were looked after, we stayed on, and it was wonderful. Everybody gave us their attention and, and, and mainly the fresh air and good, good, uh, good food and people coming to see us regularly and get involved with us. That was fantastic. Although we couldn't converse, we, we knew that you know, people were good to us. And you've returned to Ireland, uh, to Northern Ireland, many times. Yes, it took a long time. It took a long time for me to go back. But then it took a long time for me to open up and talk. I could never talk about my life at all. It took 50 years for me to open up. And even when I got married, I did not speak to my husband about my experience. I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it to anybody. My children didn't know, my husband didn't know. And it was only after about 50 years and we were married nearly 50 years when he heard me talk, talk about it. And now, obviously, I, I have heard you, you speak at, at events and, and saw you speak on, on videos and things. You, you believe this yes. is a, a, vital, a vital story for people to hear and to learn from. Yeah. Yes, it has. It's, I've spoken since since I opened up, which was a, a terrible experience for me because I had opened up in a crowded place where everybody was telling that story. And I thought I could too, but I had not spoken at all. So it made me very ill for months. But once I had counseling and I started talking, um, I started talking to classes, to kids young, as young as seven-year-olds. And then I decided this was too difficult for seven years old. So I decided to ask for older children. And I went to lots of schools and um, have done it for years, uh, relating my story in detail, very much so in detail. And 
kids can take it. They somehow they, they can take it and they ask, they're very, very good at asking questions and uh, good questions. And that encourages me to talk and they want to know and hopefully I have inspired some, some people. I've had good feedbacks and I hope they will remember. I talk about the cruelty of human beings, how cruel they can be, of the Nazis, how cruel they were to us. I've talked of horrible, horrible experiences that I went through. They're very sympathetic and very attentive and remember, I hope, for good. Well, it is certainly something that that has stayed with me in, in com other conversations that I've heard you speak in. Um, and I, I believe you're, you're doing an absolutely wonderful job um, and giving up your time to share these stories, which are, are often quite difficult. Um, and, and time, time I've got, time I've got, but uh, energy is running out. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I must say, I, I enjoyed the Irish audience. The children were absolutely fantastic. I, they're, so, they're so verbally sympathetic and ask and talk of the right things. And I found them absolutely wonderful. When they did an interview with me for radio, I'm full of admiration for your, your children there. Much more uh, feedback than I've got from English children, although they're fantastic too. Um, and hopefully I've made an impression and hopefully, although unfortunately things have, lots of bad things have happened since then, since we suffered and uh, hope they remember to be kind to one another. Well, I, I certainly think you've, you've made an impression on not just children, but people of, of all ages. And uh, hopefully more people of, of all ages will hear this story um, when it goes out. Um, I would just like to thank you again for um, chatting to me. Um, if you had one message going forward for, for people listening to this or for people watching the video, um, if you could leave them with one one thought, what would it be? Well, I can only say, you know, I hope I've done a little bit of good. And there'd be many of us talking to schools. Many of us survivors have talked to schools. And the, the impression that I'd like to leave is, again, to be kind to each other. And not, don't let this sort of thing happen again amongst ourselves. We're all here. We all want to live a peaceful life. And, do, and also look at other people's opinions as well. Listen to other people. Don't just write us off. Don't write anybody off. Be kind to each other. I think that's a wonderful message uh, to leave people with. Um, Rachel, thank you very much. 
um, for for speaking to me this afternoon. Um, like I say, this this will be going out to several audiences on on Holocaust Memorial Day, and um, I I think you're doing uh, fantastic work in in educating and, and inspiring young people and old people alike. Um, and thank you for for sharing your story with me. Thank you, thank you for listening. Subscribe to A Wee Bit of War on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your co-workers. Break all the rules of the Official Secrets Act, and why not leave a review to help others find the podcast? Thank you for joining myself and Rachel Levy. I look forward to your company again next time for another wee bit of war. Thank you.